From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, alternatives to Goldman applanation tenometry and glaucoma as a cognate for aging. IOP correction nomograms do not consider corneal rigidity or corneal biomechanical properties. First this. If time and money were no object, you'd probably go to a lot of meetings. Not just ASCRS, but EFCRS, APACRS, AAO, Hawaiian Eye, and Winter Update, and you'd learn a ton. But money is an issue, and time an even bigger one. That's why I go to all of those meetings for you, speak with the presenters you'd like best, and get them to distill their talks down to just a few minutes. You can see all of these interviews at no cost at the iWorld Replay website. Just go to ewreplay.org, E-W-R-E-P-L-A-Y.org, and enjoy. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the annual ESCRS meeting in Barcelona. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we hear from Achal Kotecha on alternatives to Goldman applanation tenometry and from Norbert Pfeiffer on commonalities between aging and glaucoma. I'm here with Anshul Kutecha. Anshul, you know, Goldman applanation to nometry is, is sort of our, our gold standard. But as, as you said in your talk, it's far from, from perfect, and there are alternative technologies now. And I'm not talking about things like, like Tonopan. I mean, there, there are technologies. Well, you know, let, let me not steal your thunder here. <laughs> what, 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 are, what are some of the alternatives that are available now or are sort of coming out now um, that have the potential to supplant uh, Goldman? Okay, so I guess I'd like to quite start by saying why we need to possibly look at alternatives to the Goldman, if that's okay. Please. And so the Goldman's been around for over 50 years. It's the industry standard and it's based on the invert thick principle, which states that for a fluid-filled encapsulated sphere, the pressure of fluid within the sphere is proportional to the force required to flatten an area of the sphere. We all know the invert thick law, and uh, Goldman and Schmidt made assumptions about the cornea to compensate for the issues that it doesn't kind of, it's not perfectly elastic, thin, dry, flexible, etc. Um, but there is a large body of work that now tells us that corneal biomechanical properties and corneal physical properties affect the accuracy of our IOP measurements. And Cindy Roberts from Ohio, she's done a, a lot of work uh, looking at how corneal biomechanics affect the accuracy of IOP measurements with application tonometry, which is why we need to look for alternatives. So the two alternatives that I spoke about in my talk was the dynamic control tonometer and the ocular response analyzer, the ORA, the IOPCC specifically. What is DCT? So the dynamic contour tonometer is a tonometer that's been around for about 10 years. It's handheld or slip lamp mounted and it requires a contact with the cornea, but it doesn't flatten the cornea. It doesn't applanate the cornea. It uses uh, something called contour matching. I have to be honest with you, I don't completely understand the mechanism of action, but it contour matches against the cornea. It's got a curved tonometer tip so that when it comes into contact with the cornea, it matches the corneal surface and it's able to make a transcorneal IOP measurement. And there's been one manometric study that was done in 2007 in Europe 
uh, with patients undergoing routine cataract surgery, had their anterior chamber cannulated, their true, their actual IOP was measured manometrically, and then it was measured with a handheld device, the DCT, handheld DCT. And the research, the project showed that the DCT IOP measurement was highly concordant with actual IOP. This is a validation study. It was a validation study. And since then, there's been, there have been other studies that have looked at, uh, so we're all aware how the Goldman Apination Tonometry readings are severely underestimated in patients who've undergone coronal refractive surgery procedures. Yeah, LASIK average uh, uh, four-point four reduction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's because the cornea is thin, flat, soft after these procedures, uh, which affects, th this is, you know, this is why the cornea uh, play such an important part in, in IOP measurement accuracy. But uh, going back to your question, with the DCT, it's it's been shown that DCT measurements after corneal refractive surgery remain relatively unchanged, whereas when they've used the Goldman on those same patients after refractive surgery, it's severely underestimated or so, reduced. You know, I mean, this this sounds great. Uh, why, why is it that um, my techs aren't checking pressure with DCT now? It's a very good question. It does require technical skill. Um, when you use, when you look at some of the research that's out there that's done in a very highly controlled research environment, what you see is the DCT has excellent precision and it is a good device to use, but it does require skill. And we recently did a study, a pragmatic clinical study, where we took patients entering a glaucoma, a general glaucoma clinic, got doctors to measure their IOP with the DCT, and, and the precision, the limits of agreement were quite poor between doctors because they need training, they need time, and they need skill to be able to use the measurement. So I think, and also, the other thing is, is that the DCT over measures Goldman. Now we are calibrated to Goldman as being our baseline. We right, understand, I understand what you're saying, Goldman. Yeah. So when we see a measurement that's different, it's difficult for us to interpret. So I think we need more population studies to look at the DCT and now, how it relates. Now the the uh, aura that, that's a that's a non-contact, right? That's correct. Yeah. And how does how does that work? So the the Aura, as you said, non-contact device. Uh, it it uh, applies a jet of air to the cornea, and it looks at the cornea. It measures the corneal's response to this jet of air, the deformation uh, to this jet of air, and it then works out the corneal's uh, biomechanical properties. So it generates something called corneal hysteresis and corneal response factor, and it uses those two values to uh, compensate for the cornea in the IOP measurement. So you get an IOPCC measure. So it's uh, not not just giving you pressure. It's it's giving you an indication of the uh, biomechanical properties of the, of the, of the cornea too, which may be independently relevant uh, with glaucoma, independent from just pressure. It absolutely, maybe yeah. that's the key. I mean, I think that the usefulness of the the IOPCC is a, a great measurement, and, and recently the uh, in the United Kingdom glaucoma treatment study, uh, where they followed up patients who were newly diagnosed glaucoma patients, randomised to either placebo or latanoprost, they found that of all the methods of measuring IOP. IOPCC was the best predictor of progression. But they did say that IOP itself was actually a poor predictor of progression. But when you compare Goldman DCT and IOPCC, IOPCC came out tops. Now, the, how, how repeatable, how, how consistent is the, is the aura data, are the aura data? Now that's a, an excellent question. Again, I mean, so the research that we've done has been in a, a very uh, research environment, a very well-controlled environment, um, and the repeatability limits have sort of been plus minus four millimeters of mercury, as, as has the limits of agreement between observers. And part of the reason for that is because um, 
Intraocular pressure is not a static variable, it kind of varies with the cardiac cycle. And because IOP is sampled so quickly by the jet of air, you can actually sample anywhere on that cardiac cycle. So if you have a patient who has a large ocular pulse, then you'll find that the difference between each successive measurement is different, and that's why the repeatability limits appear high. And once more, we're uh, faced with a, with a, in a sense, a different sort of scale uh, yeah, from what we're what we're used what to. What we're used to, quite. Yeah. Quite. Well, so the, the, this is really, really neat stuff. I mean, it's 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 becoming clear every year that our understanding and our measurement of glaucoma is it just has to become much more nuanced uh, and whatever it is that, that, we're, that we're doing now it's certainly not what we're going to be doing in five ten years no quite uh, well I hope so because these devices have been around for ten years one thing I do want to say if Please, I may Archel. is yes. that it's really important that uh, as clinicians we don't kind of get sucked into these correction nomograms because correction IOP correction nomograms do not consider corneal rigidity or corneal biomechanical properties so whilst many pachymeter manufacturers kind of give you a nomogram so you can put in the measured pressure, you can put in the CCT and maybe the corneal curvature and voila, you output it to corrected IOP measurement. That nomogram doesn't account for the fact that you could have someone with a thin, stiff cornea or someone with a thin, soft cornea. And that variation in stiffness and, and softness will have a huge effect on the IOP measurement reading. Plus there's the uh, thinking that uh, corneal thickness is um, is a marker. Yeah, um, a biomarker. Yeah, it's a biomarker that um, maybe an independent variable, independent of the compensation for the effect that it has on on uh, pressure pressure yeah, measurement. Absolutely. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is really, really super stuff. Anshay, I, I mm. want to thank you very much for bringing this to us, and of course for being so generous with your time no, with no, us today. No, no, no. Thank you very much. Thanks, Joseph. I'm here with Norbert Pfeiffer. Norbert, you a, a wonderful, super stimulating talk. Let, let, let me set things up like, like this. We typically think of age as a glaucoma risk factor, but your approach to the whole topic is, is, is different. I think the, the only way that, that, that I can put it is, is that if, if we look at aging as if it were its own pathology, the histopathology of aging has a very large overlap, am I right, with the histopathology of, of glaucoma. Can, can I get you to sort of flesh this out for me? Well, absolutely, yes. Glaucoma, uh, we know, is, an, is a disease in which the prevalence and the incidence is much higher as we are getting older. But now we have very good evidence that the process of aging mimics very much glaucoma, or I should turn it the other way around, glaucoma mimics the, the process of aging, but much faster. So that is the reason why we see more prevalence, more incidence with older subjects, and also, unfortunately, more blindness. As a matter of fact, blindness from glaucoma increases about tenfold with every decade that we live longer. And the changes can be found in the mitochondria of um, cells in the eye um, on one side and also in stiffness of the lamina cruprosa and third and last also in changes in the trabecular meshwork where again we find much more connective tissue making the trabecular meshwork stiffer and therefore less responsive for um, IOP regulation. Now, it's, it's well and good to say that there is this, this overlap. The, the, the question, obvious question is, is this something that's modifiable? 
Well, we do modify the process of glaucoma, of course, by lowering intraocular pressure, but we should think about getting more to the mechanisms that um, I've just mentioned. So yes, we can actually modify the process, and there's good news we can do something about this ourselves, because it was shown that the metabolism of mitochondria, which is slowed down in aging and in glaucoma, can be speeded up, can be normalized by reducing your um, diet, so calorie restriction on one side, and all, also other mechanisms can be um, normalized, almost normalized, by um, uh, exercising physically. So yes, we can do something about it. We are not so good about medications to reverse that process or to prevent that process, but uh, I think for any glaucoma patient, it's good to know, yes, I can do something about it. Now, it, it, I, um, I'm delighted to hear that, um, that exercise and restriction of uh, diet um, are things that are, are potentially helpful. But I mean, what, what, are, what are the animal studies? What sorts of studies have, have demonstrated outcome measures that might be relevant in this sphere? Right, I would like to mention two sets of, sets of experiments. One was in, um, on the subcellular level, looking at mitochondria. Uh, mitochondria um, reduce their speed in which they um, metabolize in, uh, with age. So in rodents, it was shown that young mice, for example, have a larger speed in uh, mitochondria metabolism than middle-aged and old um, uh, mice. And if you put these mice on calorie restriction and expose them to stress by increasing their intraocular pressure, these effects are much, much less than if you don't put them on calorie restriction. So this is one thing. And another model I would like to mention is, again in rodents, um, the optic nerve crush model. Now this is not glaucoma, but it's an insult on the optic nerve. And again, rodents that exercise for one hour per day, and it's particularly swimming, which was used in that, in that, experiment, in that set of experiments, recovered much, much faster from optic nerve crush um, insult than did those mice that didn't do exercise. So, although, of course, these were mice and not men, but from all what we know, probably it will be very similar in humans. The, it, it, to me, the, 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 really the most compelling thing is the way that you framed this uh, in, in, in the context of, of the, the aging process and the glaucoma process and the similarities. I mean, this is just an absolutely, absolutely wonderful talk. I want to thank you very much for bringing this to us and for being so generous with your time with us today. Well, thank you. The pleasure has been entirely on my side. Achal Kotecha comes to us from the glaucoma service of the Moorfields Eye Hospital in London. Norbert Pfeiffer is the medical director at the Mainz University Medical Center in Mainz, Germany. Ask questions of Dr. Kotecha, Dr. Pfeiffer, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. 
As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.